Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Anyone who has a child who has dealt with bedwetting, constipation, or other bathroom-related accidents has probably been told what most people have heard. These kids are going to grow out of it. Just wait, and in their own time, the child will stop wetting the bed. Their bodies will become more regular. They will stop having accidents just as soon as their bodies mature. But what if I told you, according to my next very, very knowledgeable guest, that this is not often the case, that the idea that your child will simply grow out of bedwetting and poop accidents or daytime wetting is a myth. The good news is that there is something we can do to help our kids. Let's turn our attention to Dr. Steve Hodges. Dr. Steve Hodges, a professor of pediatric urology at Wake Forest University School of Medicine, is a leading authority on childhood toileting issues. He is dedicated to debunking common myths surrounding bedtime and daytime wedding and poop accidents, emphasizing that these issues are never a child's fault. Dr. Hodges, residing in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, with his family, has authored eight books for both parents and children, such as The Mop Anthology and Bedwetting and Accidents Aren't Your Fault. He shares valuable insights through his blog at bedwettingandaccidents.com. Welcome, Dr. Steve Hodges, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks so much. Well, I'm really happy to have you. We haven't done this topic before, but it's such a pressing topic. I have gotten questions about how to talk to kids about this tough topic. But before we get into the topic of our conversation, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in helping children with bedwetting, constipation, and other bathroom-related accidents? Yeah, thanks. You know, I just gave a talk to the um, pediatricians here, and I was reminiscing that in um, our profession, and like I'm sure a lot, you learn a lot. Um, but book-wise, kind of your um, cookbook therapies and so forth, techniques, and then a lot of stuff you just kind of get on the side. Like um, I remember when I was an intern, I had to write for insulin for some people because they had diabetic and. I was like, well, I don't know how to write for insulin. And this guy goes, here's the scale. So I had that in my notepad, and that's what I refer to. And so for incontinence, pediatric incontinence, bedwetting, daytime wedding, that's kind of what happened. I mean, they talk to it. You see the theories, but you pick up these cookbook treatments that are codified in the books, but mostly what your professors or colleagues did. You, um, We would give them uh, Miralax, make sure they were pooping okay. We would give them maybe bedwetting alarms, maybe some medicine. And there's some kind of arbitrary ages that people come up with that when you would treat them. So, okay, if he's they're five, maybe you can treat bedwetting now and so and so on and so forth. And I, I had those techniques when I started and I would see them and and honestly, they weren't getting much better. I, I, I think I was seeing people back sooner than maybe some of my colleagues just because I hadn't really set up my clinic schedule yet. I was saying, we'll see you in three months and they come back in three months and they'd be no better. And then I'd try a little bit tweak and then three months later, they'd be no better. 
and it got really discouraging. And I didn't, I got to the point where I didn't want to see these people in the office if they weren't getting better. It's kind of silly. And so it really got me into looking into deeply what was causing these issues. And um, a couple of uh, serendipitous events happened that led me down the kind of trail with constipation being the root cause, which I can I can describe if you're into it. But basically, these kids not being getting better frustrated me, and I tried to find a better way. Mm. Well, it's appreciated. I know when we were looking into all of this when my child when one of my children was on the younger age i'd remember going to the urologist and them sort of like feeling around and like everything looks fine and then uh and then and then giving a medication to my child to kind of try to stop things which did not work and actually made my child into kind of like a a monster during that time and yeah. then we were like oh, i guess we're done like i guess that yeah. didn't work and now we're we're done because there just wasn't it didn't sound like there was any solution so i what i alluded to in the intro um but can you give us maybe the top three myths or misconceptions about these bathroom related accidents that children have whether it's nighttime wedding or daytime wedding accidents or poop accidents yeah for sure i think one is it is it is the children doing it volitionally and so mm-hmm. there, there's behaviors the kids have we'll talk about that lead to the accidents happening but when a kid pees on themselves or poop on themselves they had no idea they're as surprised as you are and so they're not doing it on purpose and that's the most important one because this is a common cause of a uh, child abuse and so really want to Mm. could do anything to get the um, word out to prevent parents from getting frustrated with their kids and knowing that there's a treatment for it. And that, that would be number one. Two is that um, the bedwetting is a learned process, you know, that like um, not, not bedwetting, night training is a learned process that, okay, you potty train during the day, then you potty train them at night. Uh, that's night training is, is not a thing. You know, you're dry at night and naturally if you're functioning normally as a, as a, as a child, and so you don't have to night train anyone. And then three, and this is the most controversial one, is that most people focus on the urine, urine output and the sleep as the main cause of bedwetting. Because when you wet the bed, you the bed is so wet, it seems as like way too much pee. And um, when parents try to wake up these kids at night, they're very difficult to arouse. So you get these, um, I call them like flat earth theories, like the earth looks flat, so it must be flat. You know, these kids are really wet and they're really tired, so there must be those two issues. But in reality, it's a little bit more complicated than that. I, I, I absolutely remember this as a parent being told all of those things, especially yeah. the one that I don't have to worry about these things until my child is like much, much older. Like this yeah. is so common. It's not an issue at all. Um, you know, they're, they're only this age. We, we don't really even deal with this until your child is 12, 13, 14. Like this is really not an issue. And I know that that is absolutely not the case given what you've written in your book and that it is not normal for that to be happening. And there is something we can do about it. As children are getting older, they're entering school, let's say they're not with us all day. They're you know, they're in elementary school or middle, even middle school. How do we actually know if our kids are constipated? I mean, I know like you can probably tell when they're babies, when they're toddlers, because you're with them all day. But what are the top signs that we should be looking for if we aren't really, 
you know, talking about it all day or changing diapers all day. Yeah. And I would make a caveat with that is that, you know, most kids probably delay pooping like mm-hmm. universally. <laughs> so a lot of kids are backed up. Mm-hmm. And if I went out hunting every backed up kid, you know, and tried to clean them out, I, you know, I would never be done with my work. So mm-hmm. I, I do want kids to have good bowel habits to be regular, but the main kids we focus on are the ones having symptoms. Um, and so the ones having symptoms pertinent to what we're talking about here would be the ones with incontinence. So if you have kids with pee accents, day or night, poop accents, then that's proof positive that they're backed up with poop unless you prove otherwise. Um, and then some kids just have belly pain, you know, most common mm-hmm. belly pain reason in a visit to the emergency room is, is constipation. So those, symptomatically, that's good to pick up on. If you're trying to be preventative and say, oh, I don't want my kids to get backed up. How do I know that they're holding? One of the best signs is just the, the size of the poop. You know, if, if they're pooping jumbo size, huge poops, think about, you know, that had to get kind of packed in there and then kind of forced out. So that's a sign that they're delaying defecation and then therefore putting out a big one. So that's the most consistent one I've found for uh, picking up constipation in kids. Okay. Now, if your child is currently having some of the issues we've been discussing, how can we start a conversation with them that allows them to know the things you mentioned, like that it is not their fault and that there's something we can do about it and it's not going to be the worst thing in the entire world to address it? Because, of course, kids are feeling private about these kinds of things. This is not something that a lot of kids feel like they want to discuss with their parents as they're getting older. So what is the start to the conversation here? That's a good point. And you you might be able to help me on that one as much as I can (laughs) help you is terms of, you know, I've not been able to rationalize through this with kids, right? It's not, it's it's not, not something you can, um, like a lot of parents want, uh, kids to pee in the potty in a more controlled fashion or poop in the potty and you can't just say hey you know make yourself pee it's very difficult for kids to initiate <coughs> elimination without the urges and so when they've gotten to the point where they're backed up they're, they're maybe their sensations are out of whack so it's hard for them to go uh, at the right time or maybe they have accents so i think early on i you want to address this be and, and these are kids you're not talking to uh, infants the newborns and if you see signs of constipation, maybe be aggressive then. Um, but some of the tricks that I use with kids is is focusing on the importance of elimination. We have a couple of videos that show things getting backed up and clogged. Um, and how you, it, it's got to go somewhere, right? I think kids think when they hold it in and the urge goes away that the problem's gone. So you have mm-hmm. to give them an understanding that the poop is kind of collecting and causing an issue. One of my interesting party facts that has helped a couple kids is that if they know what a mammal is but you know you the, the average defecation time or poop time from mammal is 12 seconds so i don't know where i got that from but i remember that and it thinks about if you think about it, if you're having normal bowel habits and you sit down you poop you get up you go and i i've told that to a couple kids just to kind of focus on um going and it really has clicked it's made them sound like okay put it in at the top of mind um and I always end the visit with like, you know, giving the mom the list of instructions and so forth. And I turn to the kid at the end saying that your only job in this entire process is to poop when you feel it and don't wait. Almost make a game of it and see if you can get there, how fast you can get there for after after you feel the urge. I bet you you're going to get better. And so some of that works. Some of it <coughs> is they're just too far gone in terms of in terms of they're not feeling the right 
things yeah. because their colons are dilated. So you have to empty them out first. And then once you restore normal sensation, you know, they do fine. You know, think about all the wild animals out there peeing and pooping without difficulty. No one had to teach them anything. So once you get the system working well, a lot of them do fine on their own. So when you clear them out with like an enema, as you, you've talked about in your books, does the does the colon then shrink very like readily or does it take time? Because I know you talked about yeah. it kind of like gets stretched out or, or sort of drooping or whatever is going on in there. So does it does it get back to normal quite quickly? It, it does take some time and that time that it takes varies per child. So some kids come back more quickly than others. So it's kind of a two-part process to restoring normal function is to empty out the backed up poop. And then two is to keep it empty so that the colon has a chance to recover. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it's, it's important. It, and like, uh, I'll use an analogy, it's like a urology, obviously. So we deal with a lot of people that can't pee. When I did adult urology, if we had an old man with a large prostate, some people might have had that happen. My dad's had issues. If they can't pee because their prostate blocked them off, the bladder will get really dilated and then it can't squeeze anymore because it's kind of gotten overstretched. You can't just empty them out and then let them pee. You have to empty them out and keep them empty so the bladder can regain its tone. Um, it's easy to do with the bladder because you can just leave a catheter in there and it's empty all the time. With the colon, it's not that easy, but we do the same kind of thing. We just kind of do these continuous enemas to maintain the empty state so that it can regain its tone and empty more effectively. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, when you're talking to kids about this, I would definitely urge what, you know, one of the things you alluded to briefly, which is when your kid is small, when you're talking about an infant and a toddler, that is a great time to introduce concepts, words that you may feel uneasy saying because your child is only going off of how you're reacting. So you want to make sure that you're talking to your kids about the different body parts. You can talk about having a normal bowel movement. You can say constipation. You can say these words and the child is an infant at the time. They're not getting back to you on it. It just gives you a little bit of practice anytime that you're feeling worried about that. But as they're getting older and you've already practiced saying these words and you can say penis and anus, and you can say these words, it's going to really help them to be able to identify when there's a problem. Uh, because you've, you've mentioned a lot in the book that lets you know that there is constipation, there is a problem. I think about like, you talked about skid marks, you talked about when they're feeling itchy. Um, mm -hmm. And all of those things we might not know about as far as like them feeling itchy or uncomfortable unless they're willing to say it to us and they will be more willing to say it to us if we've been more willing to identify body parts and introduce this conversation early on. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, most commonly when I'm in a clinic visit and I ask a child, you know, or the parent, you know, how, how often you're pooping, they, they kind of just look at each other and, and that points to the fact that it's not talked about. And so, yeah, I think talking about it early and often is very important to keep people, you know, your parents are very concerned about what their child eat. I would assume exercise or activity, but elimination is kind of kept under the rug. And so potty training is not the end of your job as a parent. It's kind of the beginning. And so once uh, you want to maintain good health, elimination habits to apply training and then kind of maintain it by observing that. And I think it's very important. Mm 
Oh, I love that you said that. And I just want to put high beams on that, that our potty training isn't over when our child pees and poops in the toilet, that we can have a conversation going onward from that to say, okay, you've now been able to do this during the day and you're dry during the day. And in order to be dry overnight, we have to make sure your body is working well. This has nothing to do with you and your behavior or what's going on in your mind or when you're sleeping. It has to do with making sure that you're healthy from the top to the bottom. And here's how we can do that. So you're just continuing the conversation onward. And because you've already been talking about potty training all this time, what a beautiful continuation to the conversation. Of course, many times we are not in that situation. The child um, has been potty trained for a while during the day. And now, you know, they continue to have accidents or they're having accidents overnight. They're having accidents maybe all of a sudden and you don't realize that, oh, there's something has been going on. So what would you say are some key ways we can help address these issues with kids? I know you follow a specific protocol that has helped a lot of children. So for those people who are listening right now, and they know that some of these things have been issues, what are some of the things that, that you would like to address right now and things that they can do starting today? So, you know, I think <laughs> to my point earlier that some of this is can't be logic through, right? You can't, you know, child's really backed up with poop. Mm -hmm. Just saying, you know, we need to poop on time off, you know, probably won't work. So you, you, you need to, you know, positive reinforcement. It's important to poop, you know, reward it when they do go, but you're going to need some help, some bigger guns to help them get empty. Um, not, you know, people will try to improve their diet, which is great, add fiber, but typically you need more potent um, therapies. And so, some type of osmotic laxative is, is like your first kind of go-to if your child is having accidents or backed up or having trouble going because they have to learn to go on time, but then they also have to learn that it doesn't hurt if you go on time. And so if you can if you can use these osmotic laxatives like Miralax or Lactulose or Magnesium to make the poop more mushy than it was previously and they go and they, oh, that wasn't so bad, you know, that took 12 seconds or whatever, then it's a good positive feedback loop for reinforcement for them to keep going i i, I probably tmi but i as a kid I, I i i held mine i don't know if that's any subconscious reason for why i do this for a living but i thought it was just normal to have hard poop because i would wait till i got home no one likes pooping at school mm -hmm. and then when i started just going whenever i felt it because i was mature enough or just kind of didn't see a reason to it was so much easier easier and it, it's just like a much, much better way to live so if we can get these kids to know there's a better way to do this because they're, they're just ha uh, reacting on um, reflex oh it hurts I'm going to hold it in oh you know and the, it's easy to early on to undo that now some kids that years and years of backup years and years of holding it takes a lot of stimulus to get them just to go poop or to to relax those muscles to initiate the poop and so in those cases, we might need to use more potent laxatives or, or even enemas or suppositories. But I wanted to touch on that point that if you use terminology like that, then yeah, I think you take away a lot of the stigma and that might apply to even to the treatments. So if, if, if an enema, everyone, you know, you talk to the people that are listening, no one likes enemas, but <laughs> why really, right? It's kind of like what we, what, we on, what we put on it. If it's just a, the best, most effective way to get poop out, What's the big deal? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the kids that don't like animals, I think a lot of that comes from the parents, kind of their impression of it. So having that positive outlook um, and discussing these things openly, I think will make even the treatment easier as well. 
Mm. I would also suggest to anybody who's listening that if you can feel more comfortable talking about your process of talking about poop and, oh, I just had a big bowel movement. I feel so much better. I love when I make sure that I go and first thing in the morning or whenever it was so that I feel ready for the day or I don't feel good. I haven't gone to the bathroom today. I don't know what's going on. Um, and I'm going to need to do this in order to go because I definitely don't want to get backed up. When we model that and we are comfortable with it, it's going to help our kids so much more. You don't have to be talking about this in the middle of the grocery store. You know, you, you're talking about it in the privacy of your home, although you can talk about the grocery store, whatever. You can talk about this at home with your child and that further takes away the stigma. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. And there's... um couple of, you know, you could use, I think, models or drawings. There's that kind of famous video, The Pooh and You. Something just to, to connect the what's happening with what's going on in their body so that they, I mean, most kids, if you show that this is, okay, you ate food and then there's waste, you got to get rid of it. If you don't get rid of it, you know, where's it going to go? Um, I think that helps the process. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I, I better do that. Right. And you have children's books that also can help yeah, open several. up that conversation yep. where you you know, it's 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 not common to you know, go to the library and see children's books on this, but there are children's books on this that you've written and that we can use as a springboard for discussion. So anybody who's listening right now, I'll be putting the links to those books in uh, the show notes today. I'd like to ask you a question that one of our listeners um, submitted before uh, because they knew that I was going to be speaking with you, but they wanted to remain nameless so that, you know, they weren't sure. um, revealing their child. So she uh, wrote to me that if kids are in pull-ups overnight because of overnight pee accidents and you're working to get them out, there's two parts. How do you move to underwear and should you take them away, like right away, like not use them right away? Do you transition them out, quit cold turkey, or let them go back and forth depending on how they do overnight? Yes. Yeah, so the, the pull-ups have no bearing on whether or not the wedding happens. So I, my philosophy is, you know, whatever it takes to make your job easier to keep the bed dry, because no one wants to change sheets every day. So pull-ups, pads, whatever to keep the, so that you don't have to ruin sheets or mattresses is totally fine. The child will be dry when they're ready to be dry according to the, how their body's doing, and there won't be an influence of – I know there's a lot of theories based on, well, you know, they'll feel wet or something, but that's – it's too late in the game. The horse is out of the barn, so to speak. So mm -hmm. I would keep them in whatever makes your life easier, but then actively be working on treating it, which would be a bowel program that we can talk about um, and kind of restoring the body back to normal like you mentioned earlier. Okay, right. And so you have a specific system, an order of things that we should be using once that they clear themselves out. But is there a specific um, protocol that you want people to be following every day as they go forward once the child has um, has been emptied out and now we're doing something on a daily basis to help them? Yeah, I think the main point is uh, to focus on this is a progression of um, issues like so as a child typically as a child gets more backed up with poop bedwetting is the first thing that shows up so that will be almost always there because there's so many kids are backed up a little bit as they get backed up more 
They might have some daytime symptoms like frequency or urgency, maybe some day accents, but they're rare. And then as they get even more backed up, they may have poop accents, um, which is kind of end stage. Like, you know, you're so backed up, poop is falling out. Mm-hmm. There are some kids that don't have the bladder component of this at all. That's just the way they're made. And they just show up with the late stage poop accents. My point mentioning that is a lot of people come into my office and say, you know, my child's wetting the bed. How can I stop it? And I'm like, well, you know, are, is there any poop accents or kind of frequency or urgency? Like, well, yeah, but it's not that big a deal. Is that those problems have to go away first before the bedwetting is going to get better? Mm-hmm. Because it, you have to get your your way down the field, and you got to get the poop. There should be no poop accidents. That should be the first thing that goes away. And the daytime symptoms have to be stone cold normal, typically before you have dryness at night. A small subset of kids that wet during the day and not at night. But that's kind of a, a just kind of an outlier. And so have those proper expectations. <clears throat> and then we have a program protocol and. You know, we've come up with whatever protocol works best for us, but it's entirely possible mom could come up with her own. The whole goal of the protocol is just to empty the rectum daily and keep it empty. And we use, you know, oral laxatives, stimulant laxatives, enema suppositories, and, and, and to get them empty. And then once they're dry, we slowly taper off that so that we transition them back to kind of pooping on their own. Some kids regress, some kids don't. And then once they're completely off um, – the uh, let's say if they were on the enema protocol, if they were on the enema protocol and they're off them and they're dry, then you keep them on something oral just to kind of keep them honest until you know you're kind of in the clear. Like a year later, you know nothing's come back because a lot of these kids, uh, you know, if they have this behavior ingrained, you can get them empty, but if they haven't learned to poop or pee on time, then their problems may recur. Mm, okay, all right. Please complete this sentence. The most important thing for parents to remember when parenting kids with bedwetting, constipation, or other bathroom-related accidents is? I'd say it's not their fault, isn't it? would be number one. Um, and this, you know, it's like these questions, you know, add subtitles to all that, sub, sub, sub uh, sections. The other is, you know, we get caught up in this constipated kids having accidents. And, and 90% of them are caused by poop, but there's a small subset that have a real medical problem, right? And so that's another reason why I say you shouldn't ignore the stuff, right? So because if you follow everyone's belief that, like, hey, you know, it's accidents, I'll just still outgrow it. Maybe they have a spinal cord issue that was missed at birth and is a subtle exam finding. Maybe they have, you know, it's an anatomic cause. So professional can look at them and say, okay, their back's okay. You know, there's small things that are obvious to me, obviously, because I do it for a living, but may not be obvious to parents. So boys, for example, don't usually get UTIs. It's just not not the way they're built. So if a kid comes in with bedwetting as a boy, I'm not so worried about other stuff. But if they come in with bedwetting and daytime wetting and UTIs, you know, it could be a little bit more complicated uh, thing. So we know it's not their fault. And then always remember that there's a small subset of, of actually serious medical conditions that we can, that want to be, um, you want to have diagnosed and intervened on. I do want to ask before we ask for your top tip, do you find that it's more boys than girls? Do you find that kids with um, neurodiversity like ADHD, like do you find that anybody is more likely to have these issues or is it sort of even across the board? I think boys and girls are pretty equal. Girls much more likely to have UTI, obviously, because they have a, their anatomy is such that they're more prone to UTIs. Um there's 10 times higher incidence of ADHD in kids with incontinence or dysfunctional elimination, <laughs> but that's all another conversation on chicken and the egg. Like 
because you know all the data is coming out now that bedwetters don't sleep well and so could that affect how their brain functions i think it does and then uh, on the spectrum disorder autistic kids we have very high rate of constipation and accents as well and difficulty with uh, potty training so yeah i think um those kids really need special focus mm. Thank you for that. And so those people who are listening, who have kids who are neurodiverse, you are not alone. As you can hear, many, many kids are dealing with this right now. Many parents are on the same boat and there are solutions and they do need help and deserve help. So you deserve help. So please find somebody like Dr. Steve Hodges, because there's information out there and you can start with his books. Can you give us your top tip? What would you love somebody to come away with after listening to this podcast and hearing what you have to say and reading your books? Yes, I wouldn't, I don't explain away accents, you know, even after, you know, probably training, you know, it's once in a blue moon, I get it. But if you have a child that's potty trained, out of diapers and, and having pee or poop accents, just get it evaluated because we can make a difference and you don't want to be 10 years down the road, you know, have several patients that said every time they visit a doctor, they'll outgrow it, they'll outgrow it. A decade later, how many lo loads of laundry later, we, we finally treat it. So yeah, don't ignore these issues. We can fix them. We can make them better. And I think it's even amplified, like you said, in the neurodivergent divergent population, or like they, maybe they're not expected to be potty trained. I mean, you can really make things worse by ignoring it. So yeah, I'm not promising the world, but you should at least get an x-ray. It's like if this child's filled to the gills with poop, you know, no one will be able to get to the bathroom on time. So we can definitely at least make sure the body's in normal working order so they have the best chance of being dry or continent or healthy um, as possible. And that's really helpful because as kids get older and they're having these types of accidents, it can impact their self-esteem. Isn't that correct? Oh, yeah. The quality of life measurements are off the charts in terms of how it affects quality of life. So another reason, if, if anything at all, is just to make them, make them happier, healthier kids, uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your books, and the work you're doing? Yes, yeah, so our website's a good place to start. It's www.bedwettingandaccents.com. We have links to me, all our books, all our research, um, some old research that we built our 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 theory on. And so, yeah, it's, it's got a load of stuff. You can spend all day on that website. Well, excellent. And anybody who's running around, a lot of times people are listening to my podcast in their car or while they're running, doing exercise. Uh, don't worry, we'll have all of the links on the show notes. And I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today and talking about a topic that is considered a very tough topic to talk to kids about, but it doesn't need to be. So I appreciate your insights, your strategies, and just your your way of, of explaining things. It's really helpful. Thank you. And thanks for putting a spotlight on it. I appreciate it. The kids, thank you too. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. You can go up to Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. We can chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com. I'm on Twitter, now called X, under Dr. Robin. On Instagram, under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'm on TikTok. We're all over the place. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it. I can't tell you how much that means to me and how helpful it is. 
please take a look at Dr. Steve Hodge's books and please at the same time, take a look at mine, how to talk to kids about anything impossible to forget since you're listening to that podcast right now. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to how to talk to kids about anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remain, remember, even when the days fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget, there's typically a tomorrow. And you may have heard of something today that made you realize, Ugh, I didn't talk about this on time. I did exactly what he was saying, where I was like, oh, this is your fault. You need to do this better. Or I kept thinking he's going to grow out of it or she's going to grow out of it. It's okay. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. You can go back to your child and say, I actually was wrong. Or that doctor was wrong who told you these things. It, we were wrong. We were given misinformation. That's the way we get this information and use it. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.